Before I start, I'd like to pray for us. So let's close our eyes and start in prayer. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for um, just this amazing Sunday, Lord, where we can gather as a church to come and worship your name. I pray as we uh, come together and um, being one family under this roof, Lord, I pray that we can connect our minds, connect our hearts, and uh, really just absorb this word that you have in store for us, Lord. I pray that you use me as your mouthpiece, give me the boldness to not only preach, but speak your words. And um, yeah, we just lift you up. Thank you so much for this beautiful day, and in Jesus' name we pray. So, I, I mean, I think I see some new faces, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Eugene Shu. I'm a, I was the intern pastor here, but at the moment I'm at the East Coast going to school at Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, give a little background. I'm 29 years old. This is my first semester. And it, yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing time. But yeah, I mean, it feels like it's been forever since I've been up here, right? But it's only been a couple of months. And I've seen some new faces, I've seen some old faces, and I'm really glad to see all of you guys here. Yeah, so while I was at Princeton, I'd like to say that I came back, you know, for after one semester I came back brilliant, which isn't the case. I'd like to think that I came back without saying ums and uhs during my sermons, but that's not the case. Uh, I'd like to think that I became, came back an excellent, brilliant mind, excellent speaker, but that didn't, that's, not what, that's not the case either. But one thing I did learn while I was there was how really unqualified I really am to be up here to speak to you all. Um, yeah, just my first semester, first semester at Princeton, I really realized I really don't know much at all. Um, I never felt so, so uncomfortable, never felt so underconfident in those classes that I did this past semester. But um, I do know this next coming semester is going to be even better. I've had some experience. I've had some time to, to grow, time to learn, time to uh, get some better skills and to get some better studying practices. And I know this coming year, this coming semester, just this, uh, just this story that's a place for me is going to be an excellent, excellent time. And I'm so, so excited. And I'm excited for you guys to be um, a part of this journey as well. So yeah, Pastor Ken, I was talking to Pastor Ken a couple of, uh, maybe even a month ago or a couple months ago, and I told him that I would be coming back for a little over a month. And originally I decided we had a plan to speak, I had planned to speak about two times, but some things happened, some things arose, and I wasn't able to speak two times. And last week I was supposed to speak, but something came up. My foot got super swollen. I was in a lot of pain. And I wasn't able to prepare anything. I wasn't able to speak. So Pastor Charles spoke last week. And I was really contemplating and really struggling on what I wanted to speak about. You know, Pastor Craig Hill came back. I mean, uh, the first, first couple weeks I was here, Pastor Craig Hill was talking about, so I don't want to butcher this, but Discipling Nations, right? Was it Discipling Nations? Okay, it was Discipling Nations, which was a great way to start off the year. And then we had Pastor Charles, oh, not Pastor Charles, oh, but Pastor Charles talk about uh, storms and how we're going to be encountering storms in our lives. And not to be discouraged by these storms, but take um, comfort that these storms are happening because that's a way for God to not only speak to us, but for also a way for us to grow from those situations. So yeah, I mean, I was really struggling trying to figure out what I wanted to speak about, and I decided to pray. So I was praying, I was asking God, what should I speak about, what should I speak about? But every time I closed my eyes and I started to pray, I, woke, I, I opened my eyes up right away again. I couldn't concentrate. 
because my foot was just throbbing. It was just so swollen, so throbbing. And I couldn't think about anything else but the gout in my foot. So I was thinking, wow, new year, right? Supposed to be new me. But God said, no, same you, same foot. So I, got, I had gout. It didn't matter that it was a new year. I started the year off with a fat foot, fat gout. And I was starting to almost frame this coming year with the situation I was in. I was struggling with pain in my foot. I was uh, really nervous about my grades because I knew that I could have done better. Uh, it was my first semester. I didn't know how they were grading. And I was really worried that my grades wouldn't come out to what I wanted them to be. So I was super stressed out, just thinking about my foot. And I couldn't really think about anything that I wanted to, to speak about and to share with the church. So I don't know if this was me speaking or if it was God speaking. I just decided to sit down and I, and I decided to reflect. And I reflected on this past year about the blessings that happened to me, about all the good stuff. And um, yeah, just thinking about this past year, the blessings that I, I was able to experience, graduating from school, being healthy, um, getting into the seminary that I wanted to get into, moving to the East Coast, um, everything going smoothly, getting one of the bigger rooms in, inside the dorms. I mean, just last year was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And I really started to uh, think specifically about the last quarter of that year. And that last quarter of that year would have been the time that I started classes. And one class in particular kept coming back into my mind to why this past year was such a blessing. And I was able to take a class called Addictions, Compulsions, and Grace. And it was led by a professor named Sonia Waters. And she was really able to explain just addictions and compulsions and how you can use grace and even Jesus to treat those things. And one of those lessons, uh, we were learning about the prodigal son. And I had, of course, all of us know the parable of the prodigal son. We've heard it many times. We recognize that the father is a, you know, a great, great father. But the way that she taught it was that she taught it that every single one of those three characters in that parable were, I, won't, I don't want to say equally important, but they were just as important. They, they kind of built off each other. And as, as I was pondering about this blessing of the prodigal son, God was saying to me, um, I think you should share this. I think you should share what you learned about the prodigal son, just the, just the truths and the blessings that you received from um, not only this lesson that you learned from this professor, but just the truths that you're able to learn from taking this class and really absorbing everything that this professor had for me. So, yeah, so we, yeah, we can learn so much from the prodigal, not only from the prodigal, and I'm going to call it the prodigal, I'm not going to call it the prodigal son because I want everybody to feel included, and if we say prodigal son, I feel like we're just kind of uh, placing the label of son, and it kind of takes away from the latest experience. So I'm going to just call it the prodigal because I believe that we are all prodigals at one point. So yeah, we will, I believe that we will encounter every one of these characters in our lives at one point. We will, be actually, we will actually be one of these characters in our lives at one point. And yeah, I just really wanted to share about how this parable blessed me. And I hope that this parable is able to um, not only bless you guys as well, but have like a, a set point to start off this new year as well. So we're going to start off with the first point, which is... Dying to ourselves. 
And I'm going to be talking about the prodigal here. So I'm going to read this passage out to you guys, and please follow along. Please follow along with me. So then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who went with him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Yeah, the first time, first couple times I read this, I laughed to myself, especially the last part where he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. I was just laughing because um, how many of us have done this, right? How many of us have tried to barter with God? We'll say something like, oh, Jesus, uh, help me through this difficult situation. I promise you I'll come out to Sebiokido uh, for three months. Or God, um, help me get this job. I promise to you that I will read the Bible three times. Or whatever it is, you try to barter with God and you try to make God into like almost a transactional God where you just make transactions amongst each other and it's not really about anything but getting what you need. So yeah, so I just wanted to ask you guys, how many of us found ourselves doing that? Because I know I have. I've done it many times. I've, um, for example, there was a turbulence in a plane one time. I said, God, if you, if you get me home safely, I promise to you that I will come to Sebiokido just for one week. I promise you. And of course, we landed home safely and I didn't follow through on my words. <laughs> That's how it usually works out, right? When you, try to, when you try to barter with God, God usually comes through, but you usually tend not to. So I'm going to ask you guys some more questions. You know, how many of us has found ourselves in the prodigal's position where you felt like you've done wrong and you had no, you had no choice but to go back? You know, how many of us has identified with the prodigal and felt a connection to him. Because I know the first couple times I read this story, I was like, oh, I'm the prodigal son. I had this immediate connection to him, and I felt like that was me. Um, and I'm sure a lot, of, uh, a lot of the boys here, a lot of the men here have felt that way, and I'm sure a lot of the females have felt that way as well, where they've gone off this path and they've come back. But what exactly did the prodigal do that makes uh, what he did so bad. Well, he did squander half his, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be half, but he did squander his father's uh, wealth. He would have gotten a lot less than his older brother, because that's how inheritances worked back then, but it still would have been a large, large enough amount where he could have gone and did whatever he wanted and probably lived off that for a long time. But he went and he squandered all of it. Who knows doing what? might have been prostitutes, it might have been drinking, it might have been drugs, it might have been um, crappy friends who used him, whatever it is, it was all used up. But that's not, what, that's not why what he did was so bad. 
the real reason that what he did was so bad was that he went to his father and he asked for his inheritance early. And when you're doing that, you only ask for your inheritance when um, that person is dead, right? And that's when you get your inheritance. But this, um, this younger son, he went to his father and he basically said to him, you know, I'm sick of you. I uh, wish you were dead. I don't want to live with you anymore. I don't want to live under your house anymore. Just give me all the stuff that you're going to give me so I could take that stuff and I can get out of here. So he's basically telling his father, you know, your life's not important to me anymore. I wish you were dead. Just give me your stuff so I can get out of here. And, you know, we know that these communities, they were farming communities. So these communities, they would have uh, been next to each other. When they needed help, they would, have went towards, they would have went to each other and asked for help. If they needed an animal or a plow or whatever it is, these farming communities, they were always willing to help each other and they were always in connections with each other. So if this prodigal son, I mean, if this prodigal was saying to his father, give me all your stuff, I wish you were dead, the whole community around, they would, have, they would have heard what the son had said. They would have figured out that the son basically told his father, I wish you were dead, to just give me everything. So it would have brought just immense, immense shame on the whole family. The, um, the father especially, the, the title of the family name would have been just completely ruined because of the selfish actions of this son. So I think we kind of do this to God in a way as well. I mean, we'll take his blessings, we'll take his, uh, whatever he's given us, and we'll, sometimes we'll turn our backs on God and just do our own thing. And it, while it's not a perfect comparison to what the, the prodigal, prodigal did to his father, I, I do believe that if you look closely enough, there are some connections that we do this to God in a sense. I don't want to say every single day, but we do, we do it to God consistently enough. And, yeah, so we find out that this son um, squandered all his wealth. And the next thing you know, the scene opens up, and he's, he's with the pigs now. He had gone from this, just this upper, upper living with all this wealth, all this, um, he can do whatever he wanted to do. Now he was at the lowest point where he's with the pigs and we know in um, Jewish culture or um, the cultures back then, we know the pigs were pretty much the lowest animals, right? The dirtiest of the dirtiest. Um, the Bible says don't eat pigs because they're unclean. So can you imagine this uh, young son going from wealth and all the stuff that he had, now he was living amongst the pigs. He was with the pigs, and he even wanted to eat what the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. So, he was, so now he was stuck in the situation where he didn't know what to do. He was uh, in desperation mode. He was at the lowest point of his life. And that's at that moment he has an epiphany. He has an epiphany where he dies himself. He dies to his uh, selfishness. He dies to his own desires. And he realizes, uh, he says this, he says, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And he has this epiphany where he realizes that even being a slave in his father's house is better than life of uh, a freedom where he's uh, living amongst the pigs, um, partaking in sin, and just being at the lowest point of his life. He realizes that being even a slave at his father's house is much better than all that. And, um, yeah, 
He was, yeah, he was willing to change from being a son to a servant because he realized that he couldn't just go back anymore, but he needed to change something. And I have kind of had a similar experience at school where I had a difficult time asking for help. Um, I don't like asking for help, so I would even, even in class, I wouldn't, if there's something that a difficulty arose, I wouldn't even ask for help. I would, I would try to like go through it on my own, try to figure it out on my own. And multiple times, that didn't work out, that didn't pan out. I'd come to class and I thought like, I knew what the teacher was saying, but I didn't. I, tr- I took for granted and I, for example, I came to class, she said print out three copies, one for me, one for um, the TA, and one for yourself. Of course, I came to class, I printed one copy out. And uh, I should have asked, but I, I thought I knew that it was just one copy. And I came to class and she looked at me and she's like, you know, you're not an undergrad student anymore, you're a grad student student. You better start acting like a grad student. And I said, all right. And uh, yeah, that's when I realized, you know, help's important. And another example I have is the first couple of weeks I had to print out a paper at the school library. Of course, I didn't know how to print anything out. And of course, I decided to try to figure it out on my own. I went to Google. Oh, how do you print out stuff at Princeton Theological Seminary? <laughs> and I spent, I literally spent 30 minutes reading up stuff, trying to figure out how to print something out. And I wasn't able to print it out. And it took me literally two minutes to ask the person up at the front desk how to print something out. So I had to die to myself at that moment. I had to die to, I had to, die, um, to that moment of uh, self-sufficiency and realize people are there to help you out. Uh, that's what school is for. And it's incredibly important not to be so proud of yourself. So we'll go to the second point, which is the compassionate father. And we'll be talking about the father here. So I'm going to read the passage that go along with it. So he set off and went to his father, but while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe and the best one and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. You know, I had mentioned that all these characters are, um, they build off each other and they're kind of equally important. But let me set it off straight. The father is the most important character. He's the central character. And yeah, this story very well could have been called the parable of the compassionate father because it's really the father who holds all the agency in this story. He's the one that's able to affect the change. He's able to um, get the story rolling. Of course, the son had to die to himself and realized um, that, a certain, that his living situation wasn't the best at the moment. But even if he went to his father and his father didn't reciprocate that action, then it wouldn't matter that the son changed his mind. So the father is the one that holds all the cards in the story. He's the one that holds the power to not only bestow sonship back onto the son, but he could have gave him um, servant, servantship instead. You know, and very, it could have been very easily that the father could have... Um, had that posture of anger towards his son. You know, anger at the, the shame that he brought that family, 
anger at the, um, the shame that he brought the father of not being a, a good enough father, a father who, wasn't, who didn't have control over his family. It would have just been a really bad, bad situation for the family name and the father's name because that father's uh, dignity and uh, reputation within that, that community, it wouldn't have been good because everybody would have looked at him as a bad father. And um, yeah, I think this also can tie in with my own father. My own fa- of course, I've done many things to probably shame our family. And um, actually, I know I probably have, but he's never pulled me aside and he said, Eugene, what, you, what your actions have done for us is you've brought shame on our family. You've brought shame to our, the Chu, Chu last name. I mean, <laughs> if he said that to me, of course, I mean, that would suck really badly, right? But I'm so, super glad he didn't say that to me. Um, just like the father in the story, he has self-control. He's not going to just destroy this son, but he's all about uh, restoring this relationship with the son. And, yeah, this, the father in the story, he, um, I can imagine him when he meets his son, right? And his son has his whole, like, whole speech prepared for him. Oh, father, I've sinned against you and all that. I can just imagine the father being like, shh, you're ruining it by talking. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. No, but the father would have probably been like, shh, it's okay, it's okay. And he would have took his uh, ring off would have put it on the son's hand, he would have took his robe off, and he would put it on the son's, son's back, uh, signifying not only restoration back into the family, but he would have his sonship back as well. So, yeah, I mean, so what does that mean for us? That means for us that no matter how bad we get, no matter how sinful we get, no matter how far off track we fall off, if we can turn back and we can go back to God, God's always going to be there to not only, not only accept us back, but he'll restore us and he'll give us the title of a daughter and son. And you won't, be, you won't be a servant. You won't be anything like that, but truly a child of God, a one God that holds in adoration and, and holds in high value. And the craziest thing is that... Um, you guys actually might find yourselves in the position of the father one day. So the question is, will you have compassion that day? Will you, will you um, show that person, um, or even your, your, your son or your daughter, will you show them mercy? Will you, will you restore them back into the family? Or will you, will you ostracize them? Or will you um, condemn them, make them feel just like absolute garbage? And... Yeah, so will you allow themselves the chance of redemption or will you continually judge them and their past sin? Or will you hold them accountable for their past sin instead of looking at them in this new light, instead of looking at them as a redeemed coming back towards the, towards the Father? And yeah, I mean, there's this danger of um, not being compassionate like this Father's in the story. It's, there's a danger of um, condemning um, whoever it is that is coming to ask you for help. And if we do that, then we're not taking this, this parable into heart and we're not taking uh, God's qualities into heart because God doesn't matter. God will uh, forgive you for whatever you've done. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So third point is don't be the brother. You know, it's don't be filled with this pride. 
Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who, had, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours is dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. So there's this... When you first read the story, I mean, there's the possibility where you identify with this older brother as well, right? You're like, I've done all this, I've done all this good. I've kept all these rules. Um, I've done everything according to your commandments, but I feel like I'm not getting acknowledgement or I'm not getting, um, yeah, I'm not getting acknowledged. And this brother here is, um, has this danger of becoming prideful because he has this he doesn't realize he's also um, just like the younger brother as well he's also lost um, this brother he was um, he was starting to despise his younger brother he became prideful because he stayed at home and he was doing all these things for his father and he became resentful towards his younger brother when his younger brother decided to come back and ask for that redemption but as I mentioned before, you know, what's ironic is in this parable is that the father actually goes out to look for the older brother, but he doesn't go out to look for the younger brother. It says right here, it says, he says, now his old, elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed a fatty calf because he has got him back. And sound. Then his father came out and began to plead with him. So his father actually went out to go look for the older brother because he realized that the older brother was just as lost as the younger brother. While this younger, younger brother, he, you know, he squandered his wealth. I mean, he squandered um, the wealth that his father gave him. He went and used it for uh, whatever selfish purposes he, that he had. He's, at the end of the day, he came to the realization that, you know, this is, this is not okay, this is not right, but being a servant, even, in a, being even a servant in my father's own house is better than all, the, all that crap I would have dealt with. But this older brother, he's so righteous, he's, um, he just feels like he's kept all these commandments, and so he should be held on a higher, higher pedestal than his brother. And so this brother is... Um, He's lost the realization that he's also a sinner and he also needs redemption. So one of the, I have four dangers that, that happen uh, when you take the posture of uh, the older brother's heart. Um, he thought because he obeyed the rules, he deserved the blessing. He thought because he stayed home and uh, he didn't ask for his father's wealth, he didn't squander um, anything, but he stayed home and, and followed his uh, father's uh, commandments that he, he felt like he was a better person than his brother. And he felt like he deserved more than his brother. 
which isn't, which isn't the case. You're not better because um, you, hope, you follow more rules or anything like that. That's not, that's not how it is. And you can see through his, uh, through his reaction that his motive was not to um, show love to his father, but it was to receive these blessings. He felt like if he was to follow these commandments and follow his father's uh, rules, that he would get more blessings, that he would get more things from his father. And it wasn't because he didn't do all these things because he actually loved the father. It was really because he thought he would be getting more stuff from the father. And he thought his brother's sinfulness was unforgivable. So he thought that the fact that his brother squandered his father's wealth, ran away with his, wealth, uh, ran away with his inheritance, and brought shame upon his family, that what he did was actually unforgivable. But we all know that Jesus is um, the only one who can forgive sin. And we cannot, we cannot hold this... Um, we cannot hold this idea that some, some sin is unforgivable because we have no power to forgive sin. We have, we have no authority to do anything with sin, really. And it's only Jesus who has the authority to forgive sin and to bring redemption. And the, the last danger is that he resented his father's uh, joy and he refused to share in it. Um, yeah, he should have been glad that his brother came back, right? I know, I know that if my brother was gone for... Seems like it might have been years, it might have been months, but however long he was gone for, I know if my brother was gone and he came back home safe and sound, I would be extremely ecstatic. I would be so, so happy. But this brother, he's, um, he doesn't hold the same joys as his father. You know, his father must have been so worried that his younger son was gone. Must have been thinking, oh, does he have a blanket to sleep with? Does he have uh, enough food to uh, feed his stomach? Is he... Does he have shelter to spend the night? You know, his father's heart must have been just completely just torn apart while his uh, younger son was away. But, and when his younger son came, you could immediately see the, the happiness that it brought his father. You know, he doesn't even hesitate. He takes off his ring, takes off his robe, and he just brings it all towards his son. And this, uh, this older brother was completely missing out on the fact that when things, when lost things have been found, they should be celebrated, right? So I have uh, one story to kind of tie it off uh, with the conclusion that ties off with this last point. So I have, uh, I have a friend, and we also have another friend who's going through some struggles at this moment. He's, uh, he went to jail a couple times, and um, he's struggling with some substances, and he's having a real hard time um, getting help and trying to uh, really fight this thing. And he would, uh, he would text us or he would call us and he would ask us for money or um, to, come, to come buy him cigarettes or something. And of course, it was, uh, it was difficult at first to, to show this compassion towards this guy because we, you know, we haven't talked for ever, however how long, but here you come asking me for cigarettes, asking me for money for God knows what, right? But as I was talking to my friend, um, he mentioned that he was struggling with um, substances. And as we were talking, he, he let off a line which really bothered me. He called this guy an effing loser drug addict junkie, right? And um, I think the very first time I heard that, I was just so incredibly disgusted, so incredibly angry at my friend for saying that stuff. I was like... 
what, just because, you know, you're not going through some substance abuse at this moment, you think you're any better than this guy who's going struggling right now? It's, you're not. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all sinners. We all need Jesus, and it doesn't matter what sins you're struggling with, because at the end of the day, you still need Jesus, and Jesus is the one that cleanses you. And I don't know, when he said that line, it just really bothered me. And really made me, I don't want to say he thinks that he's better than everyone, but he, I think he forgot that he also struggled at one point with something, or he was also struggling, or he, was also at, he also had a lower point in his life where maybe someone could have said the same thing to him, and, you know, that sucks, right? You don't ever want to be called that, and you don't ever um, want to have that curse hang, hanging above your head. So I want to conclude, you know, we may eventually find ourselves in the position of not only the prodigal, but the father, or even the brother, we might take that selfish uh, posture of righteousness. And I do actually believe that at one point or another, we will encounter um, these figures, and we will actually be one of these figures in our lives. I believe that every single one of us will be one of those threes, one of those three characters in our lives, if not all three at one point in our lives. So, I mean, will we realize that we need to die to ourselves like the prodigal? Realize that, you know, servantship in the Father's house is better than even freedom in, uh, in um, sin and slavery? Or will we be compassionate like the Father? Or will we become like the brother, uh, righteous, filled with judgment, and no compassion? I just think that we need to really examine all three of these characters and really find ways that we connect with them and ways we can learn from them so we don't, we don't fall into the dangers of being that older brother. But we yearn more to become like the prodigal, dying to ourselves. And of course, to strive to even become more like the compassionate father. So let me end in prayer for us. Yeah, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, just this time of uh, self-reflection, this time of uh, your word, this time where we can reflect on your goodness, your truths, the, the blessings that you bring upon our lives, Lord, you know, we know that we're sinners and that you are the only one that can forgive our sins. You are the only one that can restore us to sonship. And I pray that when we do become proud like the older brother, Lord, I pray that you just break that, right, that righteous pride and you just show us how, how really filled with sin and how filthy we really are and how, how deeply we really need the Father. And um, yeah, Lord Jesus, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.